Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. Well, as you know, I'm not a very, I'm not a very uh, good person at hiding things. Um, I'm a pretty hard on my sleeve type of guy. And if you don't know that about me, you're going to learn it right now. Because I'll tell you, I'm struggling today. This week has been brutal. Tears have been shed this week. And uh, I've come to realize that maybe I hold my love for this country too high. Maybe I've made it an idol in my life. Something I have to deal with. But no matter which political leaning you are today, it's been a rough week. And uh, even pastors have those days. So you get to stay home and sleep if you don't want to go to church. You're like, I've never done that. Yeah, right. Come on now. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to preach out of the word, and I'm going to try to keep my thoughts (laughs) brief, because that's that's what we're going to do today. We are in this series called Future Hope, and trust me, I struggled with that title of this series today, this week. I did. I did. And as I'm preparing this message off of the text that was chosen a month ago, I started getting convicted. And maybe you will today, too. The big idea of the message is this. God engages us even when we are in the depths of our sin. And He calls us to return to Him for forgiveness and restoration. Today's message is called, Aha Moment. You know what that is? An aha moment. Ever had an aha moment? Uh Uh-huh. Aha moment. Jesus, before we get into Isaiah, Jesus tells a story which perfectly illustrates our text today. Our text is going to be Isaiah chapter 1 today. So if you're you're looking to get there and you want some time to do it, while I I read this part in Luke, you can go to Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to write that back to the beginning of the chapter today. And it says this, in, in Luke chapter 15, we have this story that Jesus tells, and this is how it goes. And he said, this being Jesus, <clears throat> there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had taken and took a journey into a far country. And there, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, feed the pigs. 
and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he had an aha moment, it's not what it says. It says, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's the monologue he came up with that he was going to present to his father when he got back. Now, you've got to understand he's in a distant country, so the famine is only in that country. <clears throat> there's, a better, there's a bigger metaphor there that in the father's presence in the father's house, there's never a lack. For, there's, no, there's nothing lacking. Outside of that presence, there's famine, there's pestilence, there's those types of things. But he knows if he goes home, he's going to have any, even as a hired servant, he's going to have everything that he needs. So that's what he comes up with. And he arose, verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. <clears throat> but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, he goes into his monologue, ready? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father. Can we just leave it there for a second? He only got halfway into his monologue. He only got halfway into what he was trying to convey to that father, and the father doesn't even hear him. It's never, it's never an option for the father to do what the son has now requested. Doesn't even go there. Doesn't even say it. But the father said to his servants, he's just ignoring this kid. He's just holding him, ignoring him. He doesn't even listen to what he said. He's just so happy to have him home. He starts ordering his servants around. Bring quick, uh, quickly the, the best robe and put it on him. Take these rags off of him. Get, get, get him dressed like he's meant to be, like, like a prince. And, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Israel's history, and we'll see this in Isaiah, is this process over and over again. And we talked a little bit about it last week. Why is that? That Israel's history is one of having all of the blessings of God and then forgetting God in the, in the mix. And we asserted last week that the reason would be because a nation is made up of human beings, and that's the pattern of humans. 
when we receive the blessings of God, it doesn't take too long for us to forget who the blessings came from and start to think that we did it. That we're so smart. That maybe if we applied that intelligence that we inherently have, we could even make it better. Because we're just so amazing. And we decide we want to take our inheritance that we've been given and we want to use it for ourselves. Because we're not, somehow, some way, the Father's holding out on me somehow. There's got to be, as good as it is, it's got to be better out there. I see those grass, it's greener. So we take the inheritance, we squander it, and we find ourselves in a bit of a pickle. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And he says in verse 2, Hear, O heaven, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up. See the parallels? Children I have reared and brought up, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who dare, who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faints. From the sole of the feet, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed or bound up or softened with oil. God levels a huge complaint against His children. Despite the fact that He lovingly raised them, provided for them, and shared himself with them, they have turned away and forgotten him. It's like that teenager in the mall, right? When the parents went, hey, how are you? And she just turns her head like, oh, I don't know those people. They're like, oh. I've never been that teenager. I actually wasn't. I was a mama's boy, period. My mommy's over there. But they forgot. You see, when you, when you look at that analogy, there's a teenager in the mall, right? And whose money are they spending? Right? Mom and dad's and whom they refuse to acknowledge when they get waved to. Smack. 
That's how God feels about this whole thing. Like a teenager, right? Even, uh, even mindless animals like ox and donkey know their master in their own manger. They know where, they're, where, where they're, the goodness comes from. Yet the people of Israel keep running after their other gods to satisfy their appetites. This rebellion, uh, rebellion against a loving and holy God has left them empty-handed and alone. Like the prodigal son, they have wasted away their inheritance and their day of reckoning is quick, quickly approaching. We do this so often. We take the blessings of God and we forget the God who gave the blessings. Rebellion against a loving and holy God has left them empty-handed and alone. Why? Why? Why do the Israelites constantly go after other gods? Why? I'll tell you why. Because the practices of the gods of their time allowed them to do things that quenched their sinful nature. Prostitution was a huge part of pagan worship at that time. Idolatry had a lot to do with the, with the sensual pleasures of the flesh. And they were constantly tripped up by it. Constantly. How dare they? How dare we? We live in a centrally soaked nation right now. It sickens me. I'm about ready to just like unsubscribe to all my media sources. Every single time I turn on Netflix or whatever it is, you could scroll through that thing for five hours, and that's what I find myself doing. Like, oh, the time I was supposed to watch a show is now gone because I can't find anything good to watch. It's all got garbage in it. And then we wonder why our morals in this country are so pathetic. What you put in your bodies, you will get out of your bodies. You can't spend your life eating a constant diet of McDonald's and think you're going to be healthy. Although I would like to try it. I'm not saying anything against McDonald's. I just say, you know, a steady diet would be rough, you know. Every once in a while, not so bad. I like myself some McDonald's. Garbage in, garbage out. That's exactly what happened to them. That's exactly what happened to them. I should just get back to the text because I think it's going to get bad. Here we go. So, Isaiah reveals that this rebellion has harmed rather than enhanced the lives of God's people. It always harms. There's always that hope out there that there's going to be a payoff at the end of it. When's the last time you saw a, uh, a beer commercial with some guy puking in the gutter? When's the last time? No, you never see that. You never see that. You never see a, you know, a... a 
an ad for cigarettes with a guy hooked up to an iron lung. Never hear that. Never see that. Now we can't even put it on TV anymore. I kind of like that. But you never see that. There's always a payoff that's promised that never comes. I'm picking on, you know, some things. But I'm talking about, I was talking to my kids the other day. We were playing a card game. It's a Star Wars card game, right? Evil stuff, man. But I was talking, it was kind of had some similarities to, to poker. And I was, we were talking about gambling. And we were talking about, I was talking to my kids about it. I'm like, you know, you know, never gamble. It's just, it's, it's, you know, we're playing this game. This is a game. Don't ever use real money because this is, this is an addiction that could harm you, harm you forever. But pastor, what if we hit the big one? Guarantee it will never come. Even if you were to hit it, it's not going to pay off. I'm just saying, folks, we have turned a blind eye to so many immoral things in our culture, and yet we wonder why our culture is dying. You know what repentance is? I told you I was going to read and I wasn't going to talk, but I'm just going to talk. Um, you know what repentance is? It's not just realizing the bad, it's turning away from the bad. Well, Pastor, you're a prude. Okay. I'll be a prude. That's fine. I'm going to be the most fun prude you've ever been around. Because you don't have to, have, you don't have to be that person to be fun and have a good time. I just, ah, uh, whatever. Those who promised them peace and prosperity in return for their worship and uh, allegiance have only left them bloodied and bruised with no hope for help. It, it talks about from the head to their feet there, like they got these like sores. Literally, if you look at the text, it's pustules. Ugh. They said they didn't squeeze it out like a zit or bind it up. Or put oil on. Isn't that gross? That's nasty. Any of you who are addicted to those zip-popping videos, are you weird? You guys, tell me you guys, I know what he's talking about. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Nasty. Sickening. <laughs> it was oh so sad. No. Um. <laughs> All right. So let's skip over to verse 18, please. 18. The rest of the chapter just goes on like this. We could just keep reading it. it just, it's a continued indictment. But I want you to turn to 18. Because you've got to remember that we started with the story of the prodigal son, right? This concept of realizing. Here's the thing. Repentance is realizing it and then doing something about it, turning it around. And what was happening with the father? He was constantly waiting for that turnaround. So much so that before the kid even you know, crossed the property line, he was like, is that him? That is him. And he runs to him. So verse 18 says this. Oh, am I in the right spot here? Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. That would help. I'm like, this does not look right. I'm in chapter 2. is on the wrong page. Okay. I wasn't wrong. Okay, 18. Here we go. Come. Y'all with me now? Okay. I'm with you too now. Here we go. You guys were there before I was. Started to panic and sweat. Here we go. 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. 
come to me. Let's go over this thing. Let's, let's, let's start thinking rationally about what is happening in you. Can't you see the cause and effect? Can't you see what's going on? The payoff is never going to come. Can we just can we talk about this for a second? Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient. Oh, we don't like that. We don't like that. Some of us will go to our graves saying, I will not be willing and I will not be obedient. He's not making you. He's, saying, he's, he's actually imploring you. Come, let's reason together. If you don't want to, he's not going to force you. Enjoy the pig slop. He's not going to make you. What did it say? It didn't say he sent out a search party uh, and, and, and uh, dogs out to get that, that kid and drag him back into the, into the fold. He didn't do that. When you're ready, when you realize how far you've gone and that the payoff is never coming, I will be right here and we can, we can work this thing out. Though your sins be like scarlet, we can make them white as snow. We can, we can erase the slate. That's the heart of the Father. We could do this. If you are willing to, if you are willing and obey, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Remember this. This is a, this is a prophecy, a vision from Isaiah. This is what is going to happen. And so many people read a passage like that and they think that God's standing there with this huge sword just ready to lop their heads off. No. The, the verses before that do not give us that character of God, the character of God that looks that way. It's just the natural goings-on of a life that is in rebellion to God. The, the, the father in the parable of the good, uh, of the, uh, good Samaritan, not the good Samaritan, what is his name? The prodigal son. He didn't tell, he didn't go, he didn't send some messenger ahead and say, I want you guys to trick my son into wasting all of his money because he's bad. He's a bad son. He didn't do that. He didn't try to force him to come back. He didn't try to make his life miserable. His life got miserable all on its own because he was in rebellion. I think that's what we'll find out. And if anybody who's ever gone down that path for any substantial amount of time will know that that's the truth. The interesting thing about this is we're applying it to, a, in, to individuals. Because that's how we internalize these types of conversations. <laughs> but the text is actually applying it to a nation. Because what is a nation? except a group of individuals. It breaks my heart. 
that we have done, I, I feel we've done similar things with our own inheritance in this nation. God lovingly shows us our sinful rebellion against Him so we can turn to Him to give us wholeness again. A father who sees his children in their rebellion and responds with compassion and grace. That's who our God is. He calls them to come to him. This is what the Isaiah said. Come, let's reason together. Come, please come. All I want is your best. That's all I want. My motive is for your blessing. Why are you standing? Why are you keeping me at arm's distance? I don't get it. He calls them to come to him so he may cleanse them from their sins and bring healing and wholeness to them once again. Despite their rebellion, God has persisted in love toward them. That is an encouraging thought today. That's about as encouraging as you're going to get from this guy today. I'm just saying, think about that. Despite their rebellion, God has persisted in love toward them, longing to restore them to the place where they belong. That's the heart of our Father. That's the heart of our God. That's the heart of the Lord. The Lord. I could get trip up on that word today. I was having a good conversation with Joel the other day. Eating Panera. And we were talking about the concept of some of, maybe, maybe some of our childish views of salvation. When we call Jesus our Savior and our Lord, does that mean anything to us? The Lord gets to Set the terms. And he said, but we, just want, we want the Savior part, but we don't want the Lord part. <laughs> Come on, am I, am I, I'm not wrong there. We like the Savior part. We don't want to go to hell. Anybody here want to go to hell? That's easy. <laughs> you want that? You can get that pretty easy. Nobody wants to go to hell. So we like the Savior part. But the lordship part is where we get tripped up. Pastor, you're such a prude today. Yeah. I feel like maybe our churches need to start preaching the gospel. Because I feel like we've watered it down. And I'm guilty of it. I'll just tell you, I'm guilty of it in many ways. You know why? Because I want this place full. Motives are... Pure. I want, I want everybody to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want, every, I want this place full. I'm so sick and tired of 56 people and pre-registrations. I want this thing busted. I want like people having to sit on laps. Never mind six-foot distancing. <laughs> that's my heart. That's a pastor's heart typically. And sometimes it causes us to water things down just to make it more... And I, and, I, and I repent of that. But listen, I'm telling you something right now. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is what will keep us in his presence, in his blessings, in his love. 
Not that he won't love you if you're outside. I'm saying it, you, you'll be able to participate in that because you'll be with him. So we have, to, we have to embrace, embrace the Savior and the Lord as one person. They're not separated. God makes the decision crystal clear in Isaiah. If they will return to him, they will be well-fed and protected in the place he has prepared for them. But if they continue in their rebellion, they will be devoured beyond the point of restoration. The loving God of glory is calling his people turn away from their sins and toward his great salvation. That's what I got in my notes. Interestingly enough, this particular passage, this sermon was planned out like a month or so ago. Folks, God's speaking to us today. He has great plans for his church. The church is the hope. Well, I shouldn't say this. The church contains the hope of the world. That was his plan. I don't know why he chose to use us. Remember last week's sermon? The angels in the throne room and the whole thing. I don't know why he decided in his sovereignty to choose the church to be his uh, conduit of the hope of the world. But he did. And he wants great things for us. He wants great significance for the church. I've been reading a biography about George Whitfield and the Great Awakening. The biographer actually attributes the revolutionary period of time when America became America, broke away from England, to the preaching of George Whitfield. He was, the guy was incredible. I looked at that and I go, I'm reading this, I'm reading this biography, I'm like, I am a worm. I'm a slug. This guy was huge. He gave like thousands and th- he preached like four times a day. And never burned out, apparently, until he died young. But anyway, uh, we won't go there. But one of his best friends was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin never became a Christian. He was friends with George Whitfield. That's weird. But Benjamin Franklin said that his ideas on human independence and human, um, and on the need for individuals to be, uh, be represented before God and before in the world. He said they were, they were revolutionary to the time. Individual responsibility, not just in a church sense. Or, and though Jesus coined it, George Whitfield made it popular again, this concept of being born again. 
each individual. It didn't matter what church you went to. It didn't matter uh, what your uh, social status was. It didn't matter where you were born. It didn't matter what color your skin was. It didn't matter. Everybody needed to be born again. And it took people saying, individuals saying, I need to change this. I repent. And then a whole bunch of people in the nation did that. And crazy, cool, amazing, historic things happened. What I'm saying today, and I, I guess is what I'm saying, is it's got to start here. We can, we can rail, and I've done it this week. <laughs> I've done it this week. Ask Lisa, she knows. I've been a very hard person to live with this week. We can rail at what's going on out there. It's awful. This is awful. That's terrible. This is awful. What's going on? And it's all about what they're doing. What's going on in society? Society is so easy to. You know what society is? It's me and you and you and you. That's society. There's no society without people, individuals. So, what it takes is the same thing it took back in the 1800s. I'm sorry, 1400s. 1400s. I've been reading a lot of history. It takes individuals realizing that they are responsible to a holy God individually, turn from their wicked ways. We love to preach that passage. If my people, my people. What is my people? If my people. We always think about it as a collective, as a nation, as Israel. You know, Israel is made up of people, individuals, you and me. If my people, that means me, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear and I will heal. So we can rail all day long as to what's going on. And there's plenty of blame to go around. Doesn't even matter what political leanings you have. Trust me, there's some blame to throw around. It doesn't start there. It starts with us. It starts with the individual. We need to repent. Last thing I'll say is this. We are so quick to point fingers. If those people would just do this, that, and the other thing, guess what? Both texts, New Testament and the parable of the prodigal son, and Old Testament in the form of Isaiah. We're not talking to them. This was a talk both times to us, to those who have been called by God. We can't take care of them until we first take care of us. And when I mean us, I mean me. That's all I got today, folks. Where are you? I'm, I'm identifying my own stuff. Remember I said earlier, I may have made my love for this country a bit of an idol. We had a conversation about that a little while back. That came back to me this week. Where are you? Where have you wandered? And what are you not willing to give up? 
What if you said, thank you for being my Savior, but I don't want you to be Lord of this thing. Where are you today? Oh, Lord, help us. Draw us to yourself once again. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would, your spirit would come. We need it so bad. Well, we can't, we can't fix this problem of sin in our lives. We never could. That's why you had to come. We were never able to fix it, and it was never a possibility. Lord, the only way is to realize how far we've wandered. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah. Good for you. We're all simple. We all fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to repent. Pastor, I, I asked Jesus in my heart when I was a kid. Well, good for you. How far have you wandered? How far have I wandered? God, help us. Help us not to be, be con, uh, condemning of ourselves or people around us, but Lord, help us to be eyes wide open to the places that we have not allowed you to be the Lord where we have not walked in your way, where we have not have stayed close. God, I pray for a mighty revival to sweep through individuals in our country. Individuals that make up churches. Lord, I pray that those churches would show how, what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. And that many would come to know you because you're raising up sanctified, holy people. God, I just pray. I pray for our country. Lord, we are in a tough spot in so many ways. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would bring healing to the land through the repentance of your people. Lord, pour it out. Let your love run over. Here and now, let your glory fill this house. And let us, let us be the people that you called us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.